yeah, let's just let's just do the thing. No intro. This week's episode is brought to you by an ice storm that took me out last week. I had cable line on the ground for a week. Thank you. And stuff. Let's, let's just do it. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like that, man? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Ash. You're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for, I don't know, it's going to be the 13th or the 14th. I'm not sure if I'll get it up before the Blues game tomorrow or not. Coming up on the show, we've got a whole lot of time to catch up on, so we're going to get through the last couple of weeks pretty quickly, but mostly we're going to be talking about, oh, using some forwards and Varley being back on track, but we'll for the whoosh. Let's introduce your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us once again is the Mile High Hockey Bench Boss. Say hello to Ryan Murphy. Howdy. And joining us from the Rampage desk and from wherever it is that he exists, say hello to Earl 6 Good evening. So with that, let's just uh, run out of music. It has been, I think, two weeks since I've had the ability to do a show. We took off Thanksgiving because that's what I do. And I couldn't have done the show anyway. Um, so since then, we've had 4-1 over Winnipeg, 5-3 loss to the Senators, 3-5 over Winnipeg. That's, why is it in that order? Oh, it's a road game. 5-3 over Winnipeg. 5-3 loss to the Islanders. 2-1 win over the Devils, which I could have slept through. 2-1 win over the Rangers, which wasn't a whole lot better. The 3-0 loss to the Wild, the very boring 2-1 win over the Wild. A 4-2 loss to the Penguins, which was bad enough for them for them to somehow fire their coaching staff anyway. And then we just watched Nashville 3-2 Avalanche victory. It's been a minute, friends. <laughs> a couple games have transpired. <laughs> a couple games have transpired. Let's uh, just a few. Let's start with the 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 home and home with the Minnesota Wild. As I already start to lose my voice, we're what three minutes in. Awesome. Yeah. Those are fun, aren't they? <clears throat> no. No, they're not. Well, no game's fun against Minnesota, but yeah, I like the continuity. I think it makes for an interesting second game. I like that it gets the Minnesota games out of the way, but that's about it. Yeah. It was a. I like the way that the Avalanche came back in the second game and. You know, they show the effort. They showed, I don't know, is, is that an ability to adapt or what they were doing actually just worked the second time? But, you know, losing both of those games just would have been tragic. You know, that's what I look for as I'm watching these games. I'm looking for coaching adjustments. and I'm looking for the ability to adapt. Because I think that's most of our biggest criticism right now of Patrick Waugh is strategic moves. And... To see him adjust for that second game, I think, is a good sign. Uh, I'm not sure what it amounts to quite yet, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering because there's, you know, there's some big tactical differences between the two games. They, you know, they, they, they wanted to trap, it looked like, the whole time for the first game, and it wasn't working because they just backed up into the zone, so they're basically 1-3-1-ing in the zone, which doesn't work. <laughs> I wonder um, why. Yeah. And, but for the stronger game, check. Yeah. The second game, they started to get a little bit more of an aggressive four check going and it, it actually worked. Um, you know, the, 
one of the forwards of the three of the one three one started going up a little bit and helping out on the floor check and you know it really worked well and I, I think it caught Minnesota off guard and they didn't have an answer. I was definitely glad to uh, to see the more aggressive four check because that's something that I find myself yelling at my computer screen pretty often because I watch on Game Center um, is just why aren't you four checking? You're just yeah, hanging like, around at the blue line waiting. Okay, go put some pressure yeah, on I, somebody. When the Preds were changing and it was, I mean, I forget who the defenseman was for the Preds, but standing behind the net for it must have been ten seconds. And there wasn't an avalanche player anywhere near the guy. And I'm, you know, like maybe they were changing too. But, I mean, that's a great time to forecheck somebody. There's a couple strong instances tonight, though, too. Uh, yeah. I think we also saw some of that 2-1-2 come back. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're using that well. And the, it, the thing about the avalanche that I'm getting from most other teams in the league is that they're very predictable. And... You know, if a team comes into Colorado or is playing Colorado and they expect a 1-3-1 the whole game, they're going to have a plan for it and it's not going to work. But, you know, if they see something different at first, that's going to throw them into confusion. And then you can throw a bunch of different tactics at them and that will work a lot better. But uh, seeing them adapt and using different strategies at different times is a, is a good sign. Now, if we could see that happen mid-game, I think we'd have some happy fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we were talking about, you know, what's happening in the second period. It's probably they don't know how to adjust or the other team is just adjusting better and they need to figure that out. Um, you know, I wonder, you, you see Tim Army on the bench and he's talking to somebody up in the press box or somewhere that's you know eye in the sky and looking you know what the other team is doing and and whoever that is i'm not sure if they're doing a great job or either the either that or the information just isn't working well that's one thing that i don't think we can really know um just because i mean either you, either the information isn't there or it's not being utilized properly and we can have no yeah. idea which it is but it's uh, apparently that we, we made the switch between the two games, one of which was dreadful and the other of which was just boring. But I'll take a win, no no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's an important win. I mean, I think, you know, that's one of those games if you're, if you're going to lose 10 in a row and then win a game, that's the one you want to win. That's the one. <laughs> but you mentioned the second period tonight, which was ugly and disgusting and heinous and awful and all kinds of other predicate adjectives but uh my 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 favorite part is the one shot on goal they didn't get shut out well done there <laughs> and it wasn't because they're missing shots it wasn't because they're getting blocked they took three shots at the net <laughs> which is deplorable and one of them was duchene's ping with seven seconds left which was beautiful but still that was a hell of a shot yeah um, if that goes in, nobody's like paying any attention to the, to the shot total because they got a goal. And they go into three the... terrible penalties, and uh, that's going to eat at your shot totals. But uh, three bad penalties will hurt you in most games. It didn't hurt the Avs tonight. Uh, they had a goaltender that was uh, up to the task, and 
you know what? They survived that period, which, you know, give them credit. They did. And uh, <clears throat> Varley has been back to his old ways lately, it appears. And I don't know if some of that's because he's had a little bit of a lighter starting load, like we, we saw Barra play against the Penguins. Um, even though there's a back-to-back literally three days later that Barra should get one or the other of, which would be St. Louis tomorrow, we're hoping. No word on that yet, as far as I can tell. Um, but he's been, you know, stopping the puck and fighting through traffic to find it and coming out of his net to play it where when he's not feeling that the game so well, he doesn't do that. He sits back and lets it come to him. He's He looks better and has bailed the team out tonight. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing, if you go back to two years ago, um, I mean, two years ago, Jiggy played a lot of games for a backup. You know, I think he played a, about a quarter, maybe even a little bit more. And, you know, even though Varley still played back-to-backs for whatever reason back then, I mean, it's, you know, they go by feel. Um, you know, I, I think it's nice that, you know, they know they can put Yogi in and, you know, he's got a better-than-average shot at having a good game, I guess. And that, you know, Varley doesn't feel like he's got to be up for it every single night and carry the team. But when he does go in, he can go in and... You know, be fantastic like he was tonight. Well, they got to keep him healthy. I mean, this team has no chance of winning long term if he's not healthy throughout the season. And if yeah. you've got to sit in once a week, then do it. <laughs> you know, every time put him on a schedule, get everybody's expectations in order, and do it. Just rest him. Yeah, give him. Never give him two of the back to backs and expect Bear to play one of four. As long as Bear is playing like he has this season where he's been, you know, positionally sound Bear as opposed to what what the hell Bear that he got to be towards the end of his several starts in a row stretch. Yeah, But you the- can trust him to do, get, you know, maybe two to three goals a game. You know, he's going to let in probably. But this Avalanche team should be able to beat that on half the nights. Not three. He hasn't been letting in three a night. Not when not when he was playing well. The, the couple of right. games at the end of that stretch, yeah, but that was because he was no longer playing well. Yeah, that's backup goalie right there. Yeah, you get past four starts in a row. And... Yep. yep. <clears throat> but if you look at the Av schedule going forward, you know it gets pretty light. Um, you know, really, once we get back to Denver, um, January is very light. You know, you've got the All Star game, but there's a couple of breaks in there, so. Um, it looks like during January, if, you, if they can rest Varley enough that he gets strong enough that he can play a lot after that and not have any problems, you know, do, it's nice to have, you know. Are the abs coming home? Is that ever going to happen for <laughs> a stretch of time? <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know where you're saying the schedule's light. I see between December 31st and January 22nd a game literally every other day. Yeah, but after after that, there's a bunch of uh, long breaks. Two days off, and then the All Star break, and then February. There's there's several two days off in February, I guess. They've got six games in two weeks to end February. Yeah, maybe my schedule's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, you. <yeah. laughs> I don't know. Six games in two weeks isn't that bad. 
but uh, eleven and yeah. games in twenty-two days is going to be taxing. At least it's against a lot of Pacific teams. I mean, you've got Calgary and you've got San Jose in there. You got LA a time or two. And then you got the Devils again. You've got the Blue Jackets in there. Yeah, but all these are home games. Yep. Uh, I think Haynes said tonight that 11 of the next 13 are at home, which is just, I don't know what to do about that. Gosh, games at 9 o'clock every day? This is great. I mean, I might have to go to one. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that a thought. <laughs> you know, and these are all against winnable teams, too. I mean, uh, even San Jose is in the playoffs right now, as the standings are, but only at 29 points, which... Because uh, <laughs> the Pacific sucks. It is so bad. <laughs> Vancouver. Oh, well, you know what? The Avs need a good stretch, and that's when it's going to have to happen. I mean, if you want to get back in this thing, make it a little bit interesting before we all get disappointed at the end of the year, then this is when it's going to have to happen. I was just looking on Twitter, and Dater said, Avs are only three points out of a playoff spot. <laughs> <laughs> someone replied, no, it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it's close. <laughs> the single digit. <laughs> Let's go from division to division and see what 30 standings points get you right now um, with three games still being played right now. Um, in the Atlantic, it gets you seventh. That would be ahead of Buffalo for seventh. In the Metropolitan, it would be tied with Philadelphia for sixth. In the Central, it would be tied for Winni tied with Winnipeg for sixth, and in the Pacific, that's Vancouver in second. <sighs> well, somebody's gonna have to win games eventually in that division. Somebody's gonna do it. I mean, Anaheim's got to get off the mat, right? I mean, they've got to be the team in that division eventually, right? They well, they've got to get. They've only got Arizona and Edmonton to beat to get there. Who Edmonton have been surprising lately. They're on a five-game yeah. win streak. And eventually they get that one guy back that everybody talks about. So help I, is on the way. I do not know who it is you're talking about. Uh, I keep hearing his name everywhere. And... Could, could it be possibly someone with, a, with an injury? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe a mental incapacity. Something along those lines. But... <laughs> Have you all seen Edmonton play? I haven't seen them play this year. I mean, I haven't. You know, um, I don't do that game their, center stuff like you guys do. But what what does their defense look like that they keep having to put three point six million dollars worth of uh, cap space down in the minors? That's an a lot of times that's an overreaction, but no. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they did it with Nikitin, and you know, now with Fane, and it, it just seems. You know, that, that's the kind of thing as abs fans that would you know that, that would cause a stir on the site well uh, we're dealing with brad stewart right now i mean justifiably so no but... he's hurt <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got back problems he's got a body injury oh, oh. he's got he's back not, problems like broken. <laughs> colorado smokers have back problems <laughs> he went to that one doctor <laughs> Um, yeah, but I just, you know, I, I wonder about, I mean, who is Edmonton playing ahead of those guys that's so, you know, that that's changing things? Are they playing kids or? It's a Hall and Dreisaitl. Yeah. No, I mean, as far as defense. Um, 
It's probably Holland Dreisaitl. <laughs> you think they you end up trading a piece? I think they just play everywhere. <laughs> Can't do everything. I think that team ends up making a trade here at some point mid-year. I, I just think they got too much talent stacked on their on their offense, and they've got to find somebody to play defense for that team eventually. Yeah, I can see Shirelli doing that. The trades are too hard now. They are tough. Speaking of Shirelli, the uh, it, it's no longer going to be a thing as of January first that you get a tra- that you get a pick for. Uh, picking up a coach who still uh, was under contract with another team. For example, when Boston fired Giarelli and Edmonton picked him up, they sent a draft pick. No more of that. Uh, there was an article on the Flames site, which I guess is from NHL.com, and it listed all the, the compensation picks that have gone through in the last year. And if you were a Leafs fan and a conspiracy theorist... <laughs> <laughs> High months- correlation there. You might say that it was done to screw the Leafs. <laughs> well, what isn't done to screw the Leafs, honestly? <laughs> I had a sandwich yesterday. That may have passed. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, I, I, it doesn't make any sense for them to have given up a pick for Mike Bag- Babcock, but I think they did. Yeah, they did. Even though his contract was up, so I don't understand that. They also gave one up for Lou, I think. Yes, they gave one up for for Lou Lamorello. So that means that Lou Lamorello and Peter Chiarelli are um, in charge of determining what year they, of pick they give up for uh, Lou Lamorello and Peter Chiarelli. <laughs> That's so weird. It's, a, it's, it's always been dumb, and I'm glad they're getting rid of it. Um, but we were talking about goalies, I think. <laughs> The, uh, the post-game night gas a little less organized than the usual. Uh, so, yeah, Varley was awesome tonight. Um, but one thing you'll notice is the, the, the Predator shot total was a little bit, I want to say deceptively low, I think. Uh, I've, act- I've closed the War on Ice uh, game recap numbers, but I want to think that it was something like a 20-shot attempt Mm, excuse me, difference between the Predators' total shots and shots actually on goal. 20 shots, uh, 43 to 23. And that was how many blocks? 12 block shots by the Avalanche, uh, and Nashville missed the net eight times. So there you go. System worked. It did. Uh, I, I had thought the other day that I thought on Mile High Hockey we should stop talking about Corsi cold turkey we're going to be the biggest proprietors or proponents rather of fenwick we're going to turn to that <laughs> fenwick blog we're just going to shift the entire narrative the difference fenwick only. yeah the difference between this team's Corsi and fenwick against is humongous it's yeah. a lot <laughs> no there's tons of nights when it's like 36 percent for Corsi and like over 50 for fenwick and you're like you know what does this say to me Scoring chances are usually close-ish lately. Mm-hmm. Not tonight. No. No. Uh, again, we talk about score effects a lot. I mean, the Avalanche did get up early. You know, perhaps they stopped being as aggressive in that second period particularly. But uh, this did... Oh, actually, they just updated the page. Uh, we've got... Colorado has five more shots now, according to War on Ice. 
They just found him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was just being charitable. <laughs> they, had a, they had a bell curve. <laughs> they just found him somewhere. <laughs> Refreshed right before my very eyes. There you go. Well, I mean, and, and tonight was weird because, um, you know, each team had five power plays. And it, you have that much special teams time. I mean, that's a third of the game or, you know, however you want to look. It's obviously slightly less. But there's, you know, you throw in the 4v4 four, four and the 6v5. I mean, there was, you know, there wasn't a, a ton of 5v5 tonight. So it's 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 sometimes hard to really look at that and, and glean a lot. Definitely not as much 5-on-5 five five as there was on Monday. Uh, a game in which no one committed penalties because everyone played perfectly legal hockey, and uh, that, that's how it worked, right? It was the school marm game. They're smiling at each other the entire time, just giggling, laughing. That's why no one wanted to shoot the puck. It's <laughs> fucking rude. <laughs> I get it. Um, speaking of shooting the puck, how come... Nathan McKinnon and, and Tyson Berry seem just terrified of shooting the puck now. Well, Duchesne's been making all the shots. I think he's deferring right now, first and foremost. Secondly, no, the, I mean, there's times when Mac has, you know, a, a good, a nice chance and he doesn't take it. Or he's gotten back into the bad habit of trying to bull his way through the middle of the ice and, and keep turning it over. Um, and that definitely affects it. But you know, I have a theory, too, and he kind of went to the bench limping, you know, a little bit hurt a couple weeks ago, and we didn't hear anything of it afterward. But I think he's probably dealing with something minor. Yeah, and he blocked it off his foot. And right. We all started getting worried. Yeah, that and, happened. I remember that. Uh, Those skate cards though. work well, though. Oh. They do, because he's still out there. Yeah, I Borna broke one a couple of weeks ago, and it, mm. you know, it's one of those that looked like, oh gosh, he's out forever, and I guess they just slapped a new one on him, and he was out next shift. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's really nice to see that, I don't know, I mean, again, we don't want everyone blocking shots all the time, but if you do have, have to do it, um, it's nice to have that. Yeah, a big hunking piece of plastic on your skates. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like his shots on goal per game have gone down quite a bit lately. Um, he's usually got a got a, his usually his four game average, which I've arbitrarily chosen for no reason, is somewhere between two and three most of the time. It's uh, right now it's down to one at one point five. And that just can't happen, you know. He's got to be the best player on this team. He's got to take the most shots. I'm fine with Duchesne having seven shots if he only has one, but you know, right. I'd rather see him with three. Yeah, because I, I think he has three chances to shoot the puck that would probably be a good idea per game. Um, you know, I'm just I'm I'm not sure why he's just a little tentative in shooting the puck. You and, know, that that line's also been very very good recently about controlling the puck in the zone, and you know maybe they're getting complacent in a way because they can hold it for so long that they're waiting for the best possible shot. Yeah. Because that line is having its way with other teams' lines. It's not going to show up in shot differentials every time because they don't always end up getting a shot. But 
that line has absolutely been dominating, you know, whether it's been Landy or Gregorinko. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're suppressing shots by holding the puck in the zone, which is nice. Sometimes uh, they do try to get a little bit cute with it, though. Yeah. I think they play behind the net a little bit too much for my liking. I mean, I think they sh- if they're out front, they're taking more shots. I think too often you get both McKinnon and Duchesne down low, and I think strategically it's it's not what they should be doing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'll see those two behind the net and Landy on the half boards, and you're like, all right, who's, who's in front here? Um, one of you guys really needs to be there. Well, both Duchesne and McKinnon are talented enough on their own to take care of the puck on their own. I mean, all yeah. you're doing as uh, the second guy is bringing your defender down there where they are already. But if they're, I mean, if they're behind the net and no one's in front, is that dangerous? Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> who, who are they going to throw it out to? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, I guess they could bounce it off of a defenseman's butt again, but... Yeah, uh, that's a high percentage shot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it works sometimes, but... Um, you know, it's just... It, Sometimes you want to see a little bit more aggressiveness going to the front of the net. You know, Deshane's really good about it, but when he's behind the net, sometimes it just seems like there's a perimeter game going on. How about his screen tonight on the power play? Yeah. I mean, Renee had no chance. He never saw that puck. And no. mighty 5'11", Matt Deshane was screening him. Yeah, mighty exactly. Matt, I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. It's an old school <laughs> nickname right there. Well, right. just McNabb and Haynes always talk, oh, isn't it great Andreas Martinson's in front of the goal and he's gigantic, you know. he's They list him at 220, but he's probably 250, you know. and <clears throat> But, it, you know, Duchesne's just fabulous because, you know, he is – he's very perceptive at what's going to be happening as far as the shot coming. And, and he can put himself his lithe – 5'11 frame right in front of the goalie where it needs to be. He doesn't well, need he has the hands to finish too, and yeah. a lot of these other big guys do not. <laughs> That's a big difference. Although, I don't know, Martinson's hands on that goal, that <laughs> bouncer. Oh. Yeah, let's talk about that, the game he had tonight because it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. From the very first shift. Yeah. I mean, it, the camera angle switches to that kind of low on the boards, you know, beneath the goal line camera angle that I hate. And what's his face? Uh, the Nashville Predator goes across the camera. Then all of a sudden you see him weeping back across, flying back across the camera after a Martinson hit tonight. That was a fantastic moment. He never once slowed down. It's easily his best game of the season so far. Apart from yeah. that one, uh, you know, stick to the chops penalty. Right. That was the only flaw. That well, was careless. That wasn't dumb. Yeah. You know? Which, for some reason, uh, Altitude saw fit to include in their hits montage along t- alongside Paul Gostad wrestling Duchesne to the ice for another penalty. Like, <laughs> I guess that those are sort of hits. That was a suplex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of some, like, WWF joke, but then I realized I don't know anything about that stuff, and it's not called that anymore, so... <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it didn't work. My favorite part was that Gostad grabs him up with both arms and the stick, throws him backwards, gets called for a penalty, and looks at the ref like, what? I didn't do nothing. <laughs> sure, buddy. You're playing the puck. <laughs> Matt's the puck. 
but it, it's really good to see Martinson, you know, starting to show some signs of, of being a worthwhile player. Yeah. Uh, when he was with the Rampage, he was he was flat out awful. Uh, we kept hearing that. You know, a lot of us don't see the games like you do. What was bad about his game? He wasn't physical, really. Um, and he was playing with Hishin and, and Rindulic, and they just, you know, they didn't click for whatever reason. Or, you know, those guys couldn't create what he needed to be effective, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, he just didn't do much. Um well, that doesn't appear to be the case with uh, Soderberg and uh, Como. I mean, that's a great third line right now. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think if you if you took him and put him back in San Antonio now, he could do those things. I think it, a lot of it was his first 10 games in North America after being, you know, a European player his entire career. And, you know, he was really just getting the feel for it. And I think that's kind of what was happening when he first came up to the Avs. Mm -hmm. and, and now he's really sort of learning what – you know, he needs to do to be an NHL player. And, you know, for the most part, he's learning how to do it. Well, we saw that manifest tonight. I mean, he did nearly everything right. The Mars Volchenkov has been very critical of Martinson's game. Uh, the, the, the most visible one that I've seen, at least on the Twitchers, um, that he has an actual name that I can't remember, of course. But he's he's the one that does the player grades on BSN. Yeah. Um, but I know him as the Mars Volchakov from Twitter, and uh, just because I can't remember what his actual name is. It's Evan. Is that what it is? Yeah. Whatever. No. TMV. <laughs> but he, uh, he he's been very critical of Martinson not being useful in the defensive zone, not using his size the way that he should be able to as one of the biggest guys on the ice. Basically, not throwing his butt around like Bufflin, which he is capable of doing to quite a few players. And I think That's he's right about that. I, I think that Martinson really did struggle with clearing the zone. and I mean, there were a lot of times when he'd be on the half boards and he'd clear it and it would just you know dribble towards the defenseman at the point instead of going past or you know getting out of the zone somehow. Tonight, uh, less so. No, 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 no. I mean, Much just less in so. general. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just saying tonight those were not problems. Yeah, they weren't. I mean, just his ability along the boards, just skating the puck up ice, I and mean, he's like a bulldozer. And if he plays that way, he's a fantastic addition to this team. Yeah. So, yeah. we say that's a good third line with Como and Soderberg. <laughs> Even though it's the second. That's the problem. <laughs> It really should be the second. Uh, but those guys are scoring a lot. I mean, it, those. I, I think Como and Soderberg have something like 15 points in the last 10 games. I, I don't have a problem. I, I'm more referring to uh, they're a third line by deployment right now. Yeah. There is still a second line on this team by hierarchy, if nothing else, that we're kind of watching not perform very well right now, to be kind. Some uh, 5% Corsi matchups, maybe, what we're talking about here? I'm possibly alluding to that, yes. That would be John Mitchell and the former Flames. <laughs> the current Flameouts. <laughs> Ooh, got him. Yep, teed it up. <laughs> Iggy Mitchell Tangay. They have been uh, 
on the ice, I guess. They connected for a nice uh, Tangay's pass to Holden. was pretty sick tonight. That was it was. The only thing he's positively contributed in, like, since he's been back. Um... Yeah, and Haynes made him an excuse for him, which I'll buy a little bit, is that you come back from a, a knee injury and you're going to be a little tentative skating, i.e. slow. <laughs> he wasn't good before the injury either. No. Um, maybe he's even slower so he doesn't go offside as much because he might be going offside only like once or twice instead of three or four times a game now. Cutting back. <laughs> Well, here's my favorite. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, Corsi differentials right now, and at the bottom of the list is Semyon Varlamov. As a goalie should be, he should see all of the shot differential. Um, right with him at minus 15 tonight was Alex Tangay. He had just as much negative Corsi differential as the goalie did. Uh, I've got a word for that. Problematic. Yeah. I don't know how you fix it because you can't just uh, bench Alex Tangay. I mean, one, you don't really have a good wing replacement right now. No. Nope. Uh, I mean, maybe our buddy Earl over here could tell us about somebody who's going to come up and save the day in San Antonio, but I, I don't see them making that move right now. I, you know, I don't, I don't see someone in San Antonio that's going to come up and, and fix that. You know, they need a second line wing. And if there was someone who was capable of being a second-line NHL wing in the AHL, they wouldn't be in the AHL. Um, you know, right, Rendelich isn't that guy right now. Uh, Rantanen's not going to get that opportunity yet. No, uh, or should he? We'll get to uh, Rantanen in a minute. Um, yeah. But that, that's, that's just an issue with, with the player that Tange is now. Is Like, he's... This season, he has not been a top-nine player. He's not a bottom-six player. It's never been his game. So, what's his role? Strictly offensive deployments. Uh, you saw that a little bit tonight. They weren't starting in the defensive end. Uh, you didn't see him out in big defensive situations, which they shouldn't be. Uh, he's got to be the clever guy who skates around that makes a couple of other uh, more active physical players better. And well, here's the thought exercise. If you take Aginla off that line, assumably benching him, which is never going to happen, but this is a thought exercise. We can do this. Um, if it's Tangay Mitchell and someone else, it, does Tangay look that bad? Uh -huh. <laughs> Mm. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd have to base this in reality in some way. I mean, who's that player going to be? Is it going to be a current fourth liner? Do you break up that third line that we've been raving about tonight? Uh, somebody's getting, one line's getting worse just to make another one better. That's tough to do. No, but I, I mean, I, I know we're not going to break up any of the other lines, but do you okay. think that the Iggy is... Uh, contributing to how bad Tange looks, or just Tange's terrible no matter what. Uh, yes, I think they both exacerbate the problem in that they're slow, they don't forecheck, they're not winning puck battles. Uh, both of them just need to be a smarter, more experienced player that helps a younger line out. I think. 
Well, part of the issue with us not having any wingers right now is that Landis Cog is hurt. Right. Um, which is why trading him is a hilarious idea that came out of nowhere for no reason. You said that? <laughs> uh, but with, without him on the left wing, you've got nothing. Well, I'd love to see Gregorinko stick at left wing uh, yes. on another line. I don't think he has to center a line on the Colorado Avalanche in order to be effective in the top nine. I He could, though. Yeah, I mean, let's let's pretend we're going to bench Iggy for no reason at all. Right. Um, let's say you have uh, we'll call it the third line of Tangay, Grigorenko, and Mitchell, and pick your center out of Grigorenko and Mitchell. Right. Um, doesn't really matter. You know, is is that a viable line? I do think so. In offensive deployments, period. Uh. But I think Mitchell and Grigorenko together can be defensive enough that Tangay can, you know, fly the zone like he always does, and and maybe that doesn't, you know, hurt as much. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe that that would be interesting to see. I like that scenario best. Give, you'd have to give them neutral deployments though, because Tangay in a defensive, <clears throat> excuse me, role is not what he used to be. I mean, I don't think it matters if you deploy that line offensively anyway, because it seems like they have rubber bands strapped to their back, and as soon as the puck's dropped in the offensive zone, it's right back in the defensive zone. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen that a bunch with that line since um, Tangay's come back. It just seems like they can't they can't keep pressure in the in the zone, and it just seems like the puck is gone immediately. Um, and they get trapped. Because of all the things you're saying about both Tanga and Aginla, they're not winning battles. They're not getting to the puck quickly enough. And then yeah. Mitchell's always been a guy who the puck kind of dies on a stick once he gets into the offensive zone. He's great in the other two. Mm-hmm. But once he gets into the zone, if he doesn't have a shot immediately, then it's just kind of like, ah, 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 shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's who he is. Yeah, I mean, if Tangay and Aginlan aren't taking shots, then they're not being effective at their own role or what their role should be. I mean, those two need to be taking shots at net, period. Yeah, I mean, that's why they're there. I mean, I'm sure Patrick's rationale is that, oh, you know, we'll just put Tangay and he'll pass the puck to Iggy and Iggy will shoot it and that's great. But that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, between the again, the four Corsi events, forward today, uh, Tangay five. I mean, that's just comically low for who those two players are. Well, look at their look at the the time on ice for Aginla. I mean, he had four and a half minutes going into the third period. Some of that is uh, all the power plays, or I'm sorry, all the penalty kills that were taken or having to go with in the second period but yeah that's just some low amount of ice time you wonder if Patrick was starting to see it too finally I'm sure he is I mean that's because he had less than Iginla and or, sorry he had Iginla had less than Mitchell and Tangay together right Tangay got a few penalty kill minutes you know especially during that third one I noticed yeah. the even strength uh time on ice is Jerome Iginla, John Mitchell and Chris Wagner all just under seven minutes Jack Skilly right at seven. 
Tenge just under seven and a half, and then you've got Cody McLeod just under eight. After that, you start getting into defensemen. <laughs> so, I mean, we're we're calling them the second line by who they're deployed against, but they're not getting second line time on ice. And what that's kind of doing is it's putting a lot of pressure on the uh, the Soderberg line. A Which lot by of all pressure. Do it. You know, that line was the best line on the ice tonight. They're good. Uh, Soderberg, you know, let everybody in Corsi percentage. Um, you know what? I, I sold myself. I'm going to stop using Corsi. Plus nine Fenwick. That's what he was. <laughs> Led the team. And right behind him, Andreas Martinson, plus eight. Yep. Como I plus I think it's five. also hurting the fourth line because up until a few games ago, the fourth line was very strong. And they've kind of tilled off recently. And I think they're starting to take some of the minutes that Ginla and Tangay were taking. And, you know, that's that's great. But, you know, the way they were used before, they were so effective. Um, you know, it really made them a perfect fourth line. And, and now they're, you know, they're asked to do more. Which, if you're playing well, yeah, that's what you're, you're striving for as a player. But... Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going in the right direction with that. Well, at least, uh, at, at least both players are signed to sensibly age-appropriate contracts. That uh, oh, <laughs> we're making a joke here. Yeah, a uh, dry we're, one. We're, we're gonna have a Ginla back next season, and hopefully he figures it out because, I mean, he does have eight goals. That's not nothing. Not nothing. Uh, eight assists. He's so that puts him sixth on the team in in points behind uh, Barry and Landeskog. Or yeah, Barry and Soderberg's eighteen apiece. Yeah, I mean that you know that's that's gonna get him close to you know it'll be mid forties by the end of the season if that keeps up. Yeah, which I mean, is sort of, you know, I guess that's what you kind of expect from a guy at his age and in that role. Yeah, it's not horrible secondary scoring. Um, it's definitely not the Jerome McGinley that we're used to. Do you think he has a streak like last year's in him? He better. I, he started out with the kind of a streak. He did. It was yeah. power play goals. Yeah, I guess so. He is a <laughs> Okay, did, did that power play goal streak at the beginning of the season single-handedly destroy the Avalanche power play? It definitely hurt it for a while. I think <laughs> finally we're... Until tonight, when they changed up, they brought him off the point. And you know what? It looked better. Yeah. Uh, it was not nearly as stagnant. They weren't just setting up a play. They were just being five on four, which I think is what the abs have to do. Johnson and Barry together. Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> well, I think it was key also, I mean, not just not having him on the first unit, but not having him on the point. Right. Because that's been disastrous lately. And then he creeps in and tries to get a shot from the top of the circle, and that's just not been working. And it's the same play every time, and every team knows it. Yeah. And when you're not Alex Ovechkin, that's really easy to defend. No, there's I, someone, I, I forget who, but someone was making the point that, like, Flurry had one eye on him the whole power play when we were playing the Penguins. It's mm -hmm. just... He was just, all right, they're going to pass it to Iggy. It's just a question of time. And <laughs> zoop, right over and blocked it. Uh, speaking of Johnson and Barry, Eric Johnson's been 
crazy lately. Yeah. Love seeing him below the goal line. That he might be one of the best four checkers on the team. <laughs> <laughs> Let him go. I'm of mixed minds on it. I, I'm definitely, like, every time I see him down there, I'm very aware that that probably means one of Duchesne and McKinnon is at the blue line, and I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> but, if he, I mean, he's activating himself into the rush. He's sometimes leading the rush. He's... I, I think he had the most controlled zone entries on the team against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He was ridiculous in that game. He's always that ridiculous goal. against Minnesota. Yeah. That goal against the Penguins was just beautiful, too. Yeah. That and, entire play. And he almost scored the exact same goal against the Predators tonight. It just Rene barely got the edge of a skate on it. He tried. He threw it right on the back of Rene. That, that nearly went in. Mm-hmm. He just gets so focused, and you can tell... By the time he hits the red line, you can just sort of see the focus in his mind go. And it's just, he's thinking one thing. And if you're a goalie, you've got to see that too. And you're just like, oh gosh. (laughs) Here (laughs) it comes. Dust on the horizon. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, he's so strong on the puck. It's That's just remarkable to watch when he does it. There aren't a lot of defensemen who make that play. It's fairly unique. And just as a side note, I, I'm seeing Zadarov do that from time to time in Are the you? NHL. Yeah, <clears throat> amidst the the plethora of turnovers every game. <laughs> um, some good but, or some bad. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I'm seeing a lot of bitching about him losing the puck. So yeah, he's not real good at hanging on to it. But <laughs> you know, when when he gets sort of to the red line with a head of steam, and He's kind of different than EJ because he's even taller. and He doesn't look like he's going fast at all. And I think the defensemen just sort of see that. And they're just like, oh, he doesn't look like he's going very – whoa, he's right past me. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's able to accelerate not in the quick choppy strides that we see from really good skaters like McKinnon and, and, and Bigra even. Um, he just has these long strides and he can – you know, it's just a big V8 engine. It's just <laughs> down the ice and splits the defense. Sneaky powerful. Yeah. But it's it's nice to see that because, you know, we've, we've kind of been sold on the fact that he's a stay-at-home guy or a defensive guy. And, you know, he's got a lot of offensive talent. Um, and I, I think that just, you know, that was something he was too young to show with Buffalo or they were too terrible for – for him to be able to, to show that. But I think one thing he's learning down in the AHL is learning how to, to be a good two-way guy like EJ and be able to carry the puck into the zone and, and bring it deep and get shots on net that way in the transition. Um, it's, it's really fun to watch that. He wasn't able to do that in Colorado. He wasn't being asked to make plays you know, or maybe just didn't give himself the opportunity. But it's the best part about him going to the AHL is learning to assert himself offensively. Yeah, and also they're not, you know, yeah, he's making a lot of mistakes, but they're not curtailing him. They're they're telling him, all right, you're going to be a high event guy. We're gonna we're gonna live with some of the bad stuff, but don't 
you know, don't stop being you. We're not going to rein you in. You know, you just do what you need to do to get the puck down the <clears throat> down the ice and, you know, get your offensive chances. And I think that's really good that, that you know, he, he's able to be in a place where he can make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, yeah, as a fan, I, you know, I hate seeing a lot of them. But, um, you know, it's nice to see that he's developing both sides of that game like that because I, I think he can really be a top pair guy if he keeps on going like this. Who's he been playing with down there? Uh, he's, he's been playing with a bunch of guys. Have um, they been one team at lately? He just, yeah, they just made a, a bunch of switches in the defensive uh, core. Um, he had been playing with an AHL guy, Hubert Labrie, who's who's not not real great. And then they tried him with Mason Gertzen for a while. And, um, you know, they're both really raw guys. It's just, you know, having two 20-year-olds on defense together, it, it gets a little hairy. Um, so they, they put him with Matt Clark, who's been great with Bigra all year. And and I think it's it's got a, a a double thing that you know Zadaroff gets to play with Clark, who's a good stay-at-home guy, and lets him be what he needs to be, and it sort of gives Bigra more responsibility because he's probably going to be playing. Uh, he, he's been playing with Hubert Labrie for the past couple games, which is awful, but it is what it is. But I, when Siemens get, comes back, I think they'll be paired together, and that's going to be really nice. Well, let's just go full rampage. Siemens is hurt. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he hurt his right hand in some way. It's day to day. I, I, I don't think he's going to play tomorrow, but I think he'll be playing next week. Um, but Siemens has been fantastic. That's good. Yeah. Um, I can think of some MHH commenters that'll be glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone's been really worried that he stalled out developmentally and that he wasn't ever going to be close to you know, an NHL guy. And, you know, I, I don't know what his ceiling is or anything like that, but he's, he's developing for the first time that you can really see. I mean, getting better and better. I mean, it, one thing that's really nice about being affiliated with the rampage is we have the running with the herd guys. And, uh, they have a guy Toe from Manassi who charts all the games as far as shot attempts. Hmm. And Siemens is consistently first or second in, Corsi for percentage on the team. Nice. Among defensemen or among the team? For defensemen. Okay. Um, what are his strengths uh, developing that you see? Um, he's a lot more comfortable with the puck. He can move the puck as far as skating it and passing it a lot better. Um, he's shooting the puck more. He's, he's more involved with the offensive game. I mean, he still claims to be um, you know, a stay-at-home guy, but you know, he, he's got a decent shot and, you know, he's creating a lot of, a lot more chances than he did last year and the year before. So it's, um, he's, he's, he's getting to the kind of point where the, the team has to rein him in a little bit rather than give him the whip, (laughs) um, which is nice to see, you know, there was a game a couple right before he got hurt where he was making some huge hits and it, you know, it kind of it led to some chances the other way, but it just, he was being really aggressive, which was something you really didn't see for the past few years. So, um, it's nice to see that, you know, I, I hope he continues like this. If, if he continues on this track for 
another month. I mean, he you know he might be a good candidate for a call up pretty soon. Hmm. What are you seeing from Bigra? Um, he's very smart with the puck. Uh, you know, he moves it quite well when his team helps him out, which lately isn't that often. Um, he he's a little conservative which I don't know if that's just being young or that's just his playing style. So I'm sort of waiting to see how that plays out. Because um, he, he has some good offensive talent. Um, you know, last year, he, he came in as an amateur for Lake Erie at the end of the season. And, it, you know, I think they just told him to go YOLO. <laughs> if you get the shot, just take the puck up the ice. And he was. And he's not really doing that now. He's got a lot more responsibility. That was when he was, you know, on the third pair basically. Now he's kind of top pair, and you know, I, I think he needs to learn when he can take chances and feel good about it. But so, what's uh, the timeline on these guys? I mean, uh, how soon do you see him helping out? Um, I mean, I think Duncan could help out this year. Yeah, uh, Zadaroff. I don't know, just because, you know, it's it's probably a light bulb coming on kind of moment that's going to fix him. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like he could be playing crappy and then a week of playing well and he'll be ready. Um, Bigra, he probably won't do much for the Avs this year just because he's just so young and needs to fill out more. Um, and I just, you know, I don't... I don't know if being in the abs environment's the best thing for him right now. Right. Um, but it's well, the team it, is. What's that? Yeah, you know, I was gonna say the team is finally in a stage where it can develop players in the AHL, which is yeah. positive. They haven't had that in a long time. It is, you know, and, and you know, Geertsen, the other rookie, he's um, he's he's quite rookie-ish. He's sort of a victim of Zadaroff being sent down because he doesn't get as much time as, as maybe you'd like to see developmentally. But, um, you know, he he's going to take a couple of years, but I think he's going to be, you know, a, a good guy to watch as well. Do you think he should be with the Comets right now? Just no. Just getting playing time? Is he just too far above that level? He's, he's I don't, I, yeah, I think he's a, too far above that level. Um. I I just I don't see what you what you get down there helping him much, right? Um, you know what what he's struggling with is just basic you know decision making speed of the game type things, which the ECHL you know he he could go down there and look very good, and probably gain some confidence and whatnot. But I don't you know I don't know if that would help him come back up to the AHL and look any better. I mean I think he just basically needs to make mistakes, have them corrected, and learn from that. Um, I, I was listening to the interview Cheryl did with uh, with Bigra the other day, and Bigra was saying that when they are in San Antonio, that either Foote or Brett Clark are, are working with them once that week, um, every week that they're home. So it's really good to see that you know those guys are getting – a lot of stuff just you know besides the coaching staff that the av staff is down there helping them out all right i'm gonna interrupt you guys adrian dater is arguing the three points out of the playoffs 
assertion. <laughs> oh, no. Luke Steer has now just sent him a picture of the standings. <laughs> <laughs> Does he think we're in the Pacific Division? I don't know, but... <laughs> That how they're 14th in the West. But somebody says, no, the Avs are seven points out of a playoff spot. And Adrian replies, check again, goggles. He calls them goggles. That's good. <laughs> it's hey, not well, of theater. You don't have room for facts when there's a fan base to stir up. Um, <laughs> so I've seen a lot of talk on, on your Twitter while you're watching Rampage Games, Earl, about Miko Ranton and just taking over a game here and there. Yeah. Maybe not all of them, but definitely taking over games here and there. He can. Um, you know, he, he's just fantastic to watch. Um, they were down 2 nothing the other day going into the third period, and, you know, he just put the team on his back. Zadarov had a horrible five-minute major penalty called against him, and they were down two nothing and Miko's like, all right, fine. I'm going to kill this penalty and I'm going to score a goal. And he did. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, he ties the game up. Um, you know, they ended up losing the game with seven and a half seconds left. So that sucks. But you know, yeah, it just, it gave a glimpse into what he's capable of. Um, he's still pretty raw in the defensive zone. Um, what about that penalty kill that you're talking about? He's, you know he can he can kill penalties. Yeah, do you uh, see a future of that in the NHL? I think so. Yeah, I mean not you know not in a Mark Andre cliche kind of way, but I mean in in a Landy kind of way, let's say. Right. Um, I I think he can do that. Um, but he's you know he's he's got a a lot of good offensive skills in the in as far as not wanting to give the puck up. Um. He's just really good at, at keeping the puck away from other players. Um, it's got such a long reach. Yeah. It does. And it's, it's weird because, I mean, it, you don't see that as much in the defensive zone. He's kind of weak on, in the, on the puck in the defensive zone, if, more or less. But um, in the offensive zone, it's great. He's, he, he can cycle it. Um, he can skate around. It just seems like whichever way he turns is, you know, keeping it away from someone. But he's just, he's also fantastic at, at setting people up. Um, I wonder about his shooting. You know, he's a pretty good shooter in the AHL. I don't know if that's, you know, that's something that, you know, we heard when he was drafted that he was more of a passer than a shooter. Mm -hmm. um, if that's something he's developing down there, then that's fantastic too. Yeah, we don't get to see a lot of 18, 19-year-olds in the AHL. I mean, I'm sure that's uh, interesting from your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's him and Willie Nylander, and that's about it, eh? You got Shillington, you know, who's a defenseman. Um, there's, a, I think there's like six or seven. Yeah. Um, it, is it difficult to judge what they're doing at this point? Just because you don't see it very often? Um, yeah, I, I mean... You see guys like Nylander and and Miko, and they're you know Nylander's leading the league in scoring, and, and Miko, if he had been down all season, probably would be right up there. Mm -hmm. uh, although the Rampage just don't score as much as the Marleys do. Um, 
but they're you know they're just hyper talented compared to the talent level of the league right um, and it's just you know it's nice to see that that you know the weaknesses you see in them are things like you know they're 19 and they're not as filled out as everyone else and it's like you think about it like all right you know this guy's kind of a beanpole <laughs> and he's still doing this to you know veteran defensemen and and things like that and you're like you know what's this kid gonna look like when he's 23 you know and he's instead of being 6'4 210 he's 6'4 220 225 he's gonna be scary you know it's just it's it's really fun to think about where he's gonna be in a few years right and also considering the avalanche's dire need for wing players (laughs) right you know next year i mean it's just uh it's comforting to know that that kind of talent's coming up yeah. He'll be back next season with the team, right? I would say so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think this is a one-year one year deal. I, I, do you think, I think he'd come up even later this year, you know, stand to that 40-game mark probably, but... Yeah, it's... Maybe. You know, it all depends on what makes the most sense. <clears throat> I mean, it, you know, I, I don't think Miko would help the Avalanche all that much right now. Yeah. Um. And what he's learning down there, you know, being dominant is probably a lot better for his game right now. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you know, you should bring these guys up for 10 games at the end of the season if they're going to play in the NHL next year. And I'm starting to wonder, right, what, what do you guys think? What benefits does that really give you? Um, you know, is that really improving your game? being up for, you know, eight or 10 games at the end of the year. Do you really learn a lot from that? Um, it's tough. I think I'm more on your side. I, I think you, there's a lot to be learned from being dominant. Uh, because I think if you're developing players the right way, that's how they should feel about their game when they come to the NHL. Yeah. And I don't think the transitioning is healthy for a young player's game in any situation, uh, you know, between teams. It just never works out as well as you want it to. Yeah, because it's not like you can just say like, "Oh, come on up and just dominate like you were down there." <laughs> it's just that doesn't work. Yeah, it's uh, it's come up and try to get adjusted to the speed of the league we want you to play in next year. Is what it's yeah, gonna, but, is mean, what the point is. Wouldn't I don't know like how much of what goes on in those eight to ten games is going to help him in training camp in the first few games of next year? Um, you know, I've, I've just sort of been you know thinking about this and and how much that really would help does it matter um i'm not sure it does you know i'm not sure you know it's like he's he's practiced against all these guys he's played in preseason games and he will do that again next year um i'm just not sure like playing you know a few games at the end of the season with you know we hope it's in a playoff run but it probably won't be and so it's sort of a, a team playing out the string. I don't know if that really, you know, does anything for for a player. You know, uh, playing in an AHL playoff would probably be a great learning experience as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Are the Rampage in a playoff spot? They are. Oh. Yeah, they're they're second in the Pacific Division, um, and that's after losing four straight. So, you know, I I imagine it's a lot like the NHL game. You know, 
uh, takes a step up in the playoffs, and that's something a 19-year-old can learn from. Yeah, that's why, you know, even though Zadarov might be ready to come up at some point this year, you know, it, it, going, it, it, let's say the Rampage sort of right the ship in the next couple of weeks, and I think they will, <clears throat> and they continue on the playoff track. I mean, I think it's a lot better for guys like Bigra and Zadarov and Nico, you know, to stay in San Antonio and, and, you know, go on a nice playoff run together rather than, you know, get some experience at the NHL level that may or may not do something. Well, and it goes back to your other point. You teach winning. You teach how to be dominant. You teach success. Yeah. And then Patrick and Joe have said that, you know, they, they like the way that the guys in Tampa Bay all played together. It was either in Norfolk or Syracuse. I can't remember where it was when they won the, the Calder Cup, but they all won a championship together. And then they came up to Tampa Bay as a group. Mm-hmm. Damn near won another one. Yeah. Got real close. So, uh, Let's go ahead and look ahead to next week with the Avalanche. Um, by the time this podcast is live, the the game against St. Louis will probably be, if not over, at least underway. That seems that seems very likely. Um, Tuesday, the Avalanche travel to Chicago for a game at six thirty Mountain against the Blackhawks. That's going to be on NBC Sports. So enjoy your Pierre. Then they return home on Thursday, 7 o'clock against the Islanders. And then on Saturday, an 8 o'clock start, which is not so bad when it's at home, I guess, against the Edmonton Oilers. That one is being delayed, I'm assuming, because it's an Edmonton game on CBC. Hmm. So, um, out of those three games, think 3 and 0 and 0? Six points? Easy? Uh... St. Louis is going to be tough. The rest I see him winning. I see trouble with the Blackhawks game because I see uh, guys like Kane picking this defense apart. <laughs> right, Has he been but, playing well lately? I haven't heard. <laughs> I, I haven't heard from literally every hockey outlet every day whether he's playing well or not. So it's kind of out on a limb. Empty net goals, man. That's uh, something to talk about. A hand pass on an empty net goal. Hey, Streak is alive. (laughs) Oh, well. The Avalanche always get up for Chicago, though. I I think I see Landis Cog coming back for that game. Uh, I I think that's a winnable game. Yeah, it could be. For, For the Blues or for Chicago? Oh, I, I think Chicago's a winnable game. I think St. Louis is a tough game for the Avalanche. No, I mean, do you see Landy coming back tomorrow or for Chicago? I see it more for Chicago, but... Yeah, I agree. I, he's on the road trip, so anything goes. Yeah, I, I, apparently he skated today. He didn't skate yesterday. So ch- the Chicago on Tuesday seems like a more likely timeline than what's already a, a, a little bit of a schedule loss. Yep. Yeah. Back-to-back with travels rough. Well, and you know, tonight worked out, too. The lines tonight worked, except for one. Right. (laughs) You know. So I don't think he has to come back against a team like St. Louis. Um, Bring it back to Chicago. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if they had lost tonight, then, you know, we'd see a higher percentage of Varley and Landy tomorrow. 
Absolutely, the vision game. Now. Ideally, we see probably see zero percent of them tomorrow. Yeah, but you'll know whether we're right or not by the time you hear this. So, <laughs> um, Islanders on Thursday. That's that's always a fun matchup there because both teams like to score early and often. Yep, and that was a good game last time they played New York and Brooklyn. Yeah. The weirdest looking arena I've ever seen in my life. What is that? <clears throat> what is the car advertisement right behind the glass? <laughs> what very, is that? It's very AHL. It's like the <laughs> Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. I mean, <laughs> you're not going to try to sell floor seats, glass seats in your arena? That makes no sense. They must be making more money off the ad. Boy, modern sponsorship fees. I don't know. It might be. Might be. And then, just on that note, did you guys notice there was sort of like a pink laser line down the middle of the ice in tonight's game? No. Yeah, it, like they have those, um, I guess they're LED ads on the boards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, they were, and they were kind of pinkish and there was, I, I kept seeing a reflection, I guess. I think that's what it was. It might have been some weird lights above, but there was this like pink laser line down the middle of the ice all night. That's huh. funny. Well, now I'm going to have to notice it, so thanks. Yeah, well, I mean, I think someone said that there was, was there college basketball in that arena today? Yeah, it was, yeah. So, I don't know if fresh ice on a humid day had anything to do with it. A little extra shiny. Yeah. And then Edmonton on Saturday, boy, that that's always an anything goes kind of matchup. That's scary. That that could be 7-6. That could be one to nothing. In a shootout. Who knows? It could be. I like the Avs' top line right now against that defense, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we can just trap the living crap out of that team, like we have been for everybody else, I think that line could score at least two goals for the Avs. And McMuffin's not going to be back for that, right? Who? No, 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 no. Surely not. Surely we won't see McNugget until spring. Oh, okay. Dude, dude broke his clavicle. That's a few months. Unless you're uh, Tony Romo, and then you come back anyway and re-break it. I was going to say, pro cyclists break them all the time, and they're back in a few weeks. But Yeah, they're not taking full-body contact for 15 minutes a night, though. Well, they <laughs> There's a lot of full contact in cycling, but yeah. Um... <clears throat> yeah, the, I don't know. The I just got bad feels about the Edmonton game just because, I don't know, we just never beat them. Well, at the same time of year that... Edmonton came to town and played Colorado a couple of years ago, and I, that I was in Denver for, and saw one of the one of the prettier goals that the that Stastny and O'Reilly combined for. So that was a fun game. Maybe we'll see more more stuff like that. Home game, they've got to start winning at home. Yes. Uh, we've been talking about this market correction that has to occur eventually. Yes, and you know what? This is the stretch it happens. And they're still on what ten or eleven home games. Not a lot. Yeah, I got it right here. Four, seven, and one. So twelve home games. Yeah, it's just it's been rough at home, and there's not a good reason for it. There really isn't. I mean, of all the advantages you have. hmm? Oh shoot! (laughs) Is that us? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> did we do that are we responsible yeah <laughs> um yeah, yeah we could blame it on something 
Might as well be our own selves. Take I, ownership. I think Professor Oak must be playing NHL. He <laughs> says club name of the night is Collar McBrokens. <laughs> well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we beat the Blues, lose to Chicago in overtime. Ooh. Okay. Um, Pick up a point. Weird hockey. Yeah. And beat the Islanders and lose to Edmonton outright. So that's an exact reverse opposite situation, so it seems pretty likely. Yeah. Okay, Man, my make got, a prediction here. We got it covered. Yeah, uh, I say we lose to St. Louis. I think we can lose to Chicago in overtime. And I think we win the next two. Sign me up for five points. All right. Through, uh, across four games? Across four games, five points. Mm, okay. That That passes the test of that I just invented that is nothing. I mean, I wanted to predict eight points, but five sounds a lot more likely. Eight points. Four and oh. Book it. <laughs> Where's AJ? Six and one. Book it. <laughs> Comes out of nowhere. Three and oh and kick the shit out of Montreal. Book it. And then it fucking happens. Get out of here. <laughs> You'll never hear the end of it. Well, no matter... What ends up getting booked next week? You know that you can find out about it here on the MHH podcast, which is actually back on a reasonably regular schedule now because my internet's fixed. So, praise Cox. Um, follow the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Catch the RSS feed in whatever podcatcher you prefer. There's hundreds of thousands of them out there. Get your... Li- Get your abs news and updates from milehighhockey.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash milehighhockey and on Twitter at milehighhockey as well. So until next week, we'll be uh, watching some watching some interesting games. We'll see how it turns out. Keep your head up, suit to the dirty areas. See you then. You know, Chiggy played a lot of games Oof. for backup. The Avs header is Andre Yass. Uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> On the website? Uh, yep. Oh. Oh, holding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, I don't know who chooses those, but... They're they they they're from fan suggestions, but... Hmm. Uh, uh, but just to continue that thought, 